Tonight we're going to talk about what sacramental character is. Or in English, unfortunately, we refer to it more often as indelible marks. There are three sacraments of the seven that confer a sacramental character. Which is a big word. It means it truly ontologically changes us. Changes our soul. It adds a power, a faculty. And so we're very used to this notion, maybe with baptism, maybe with the priesthood, when we say priest for eternity, what does that really mean? Well, it means we have that priestly character. We'll be in hell for all eternity or in heaven for all eternity as a priest. Well, you could say that for all three sacraments that give a character. You're baptized for eternity. You're confirmed for eternity. You're ordained priest for eternity. So, really, what is a sacramental character? It's going to be our question tonight that we're going to answer. And the happy clarity that will bring to us is it will shed great light on this often abused term of priesthood of the laity. But we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There really is something beautiful about the sacramental character that is already impressed on your souls by baptism that you do have a priestly role in the life of the church. That there's a mediation that you truly possess because you're baptized that a non-baptized person does not possess. So there's the topic out there. And now the appetite is... Uh, <laughs> Triggered. All right. And I'm going to go over the beginning. I'm going to give you the essential elements. You know how we generally start with Aquinas Night with the bullet points of what you need to know. And then, those of you who know me, tonight will be the exception of exceptions where I am actually going to hand you the handout during class. <laughs> not so that's a distraction, not so that you're reviewing what we already taught, not so that you're looking ahead at what we're not teaching yet, but so that you can have this very important grid in front of you that you would not be able to get if I tried to duplicate it on the whiteboard. It has a lot of information in a small amount of space that we're going to develop. What a crazy night you're going to get your hand out in the class. <laughs> it's a big act of confidence. Alright, so what you need to know about sacramental character. So if we were to define it, sacramental, to begin defining it, sorry, first element you can get. Sacramental character is a permanent, supernatural mark. on the person and it's imprinted by three of the sacraments baptism confirmation and holy orders and a way we teach children about it that's good for us to have the review remember if one of the sacraments confers a character, there's three, baptism, confirmation, and holy orders. It means those sacraments can't be repeated. You're either baptized or you're not. You're either confirmed or you're not. You're either a priest or you're not. That's a different thing whether you're in active ministry or not, but you're still a priest, you're a priest for eternity. There's no unbaptizing. Even if 
some emperor tried to in Cattle's blood 1,600 years ago. Didn't work. He was still baptized. <laughs> Anyone know what I'm referring to? <laughs> We're going to start another series, History of the Church. <laughs> there are people that know it. There's a reason. Thank you. Let's just say he's known for the rest of posterity as the apostate. So, there you go. All right. So, baptism, confirmation, holy orders, and it means you can only receive it once. Which is why, it's very important, in baptism, it's why there's an honest investigation of whether or not a person is validly baptized. And you only conditionally baptize if there's an established doubt. And that's also why the church provides a conditional formula. Because it would be sacrilegious to do a baptism ceremony again on someone who's already baptized. That's why only if there's a thorough investigation, and only if there's an established doubt, then does the priest say, if thou art not already baptized, I baptize thee in the name of God. All that is a consequence of sacramental character. All that is because you're either baptized or you're not. There's no redo. And that's in Scripture too. One faith, one baptism. All right. No one's reconfirmed. No one is reordained. No sin unbaptizes you. No sin unconfirms you. No sin unordains you. It might take you out of ministry, but it doesn't unordain you. So these are some of the consequences then of receiving a sacramental character. So sacramental character, permanent supernatural life. It changes the one who receives it in his or her very being. So persons baptized, confirmed, or ordained are forever new beings. Once you're baptized, you're baptized for eternity. You will be judged as a baptized person. All your torments in hell will be as a baptized person, or your glories in heaven will be as a baptized person. Same thing for confirmation. You will be judged as a confirmed soul. And of course, same as priest. So if we're used to saying priest for eternity, well, that's just a consequence of this sacramental character. In the same right, you could say, confirmed for eternity. Baptized for eternity. It's who you are. You are a baptized person. You are a confirmed person. It is indelible. This means that it remains even if one loses sanctifying grace. So the sacraments that confer sacramental character are not repeated. Person remains baptized, confirmed, and ordained into eternity. Now, when we are in a state of grace, these sacramental characters are active and place us in contact with Christ. He is the heavenly vine whose branches we are through the character. And we're really going to develop this when we talk about baptismal character. So just hang on for a moment. And this sacramental character is so strong. It changes our being so much. And because it's supernatural, this character gives us a right to possess grace. One of the reasons there even can be canon law is because a baptized person now has supernatural rights to grace. So if we were all up in arms last year about our rights of freedom 
be stripped by government powers and them overstepping the lines and shutting things down and twisting something into more of a narrative with other objectives. Well, there were some rights that were compromised. Well, there's a supernatural part to that too. As a baptized soul, and because of your baptismal character, you have a right to the sacraments. You have a right to have your confession heard. You're a baptized soul who has a right to access to priests. Confession, mass, communion. Again, it's already part of that sacramental character. And if we don't place obstacles in the way, You can always call upon those graces of the sacrament you receive that conferred a character. So what's something that's part of baptism? Baptism is the sacrament that opens your soul up to be able to receive the other sacraments. So when you're in difficulty of finding a confession or a mass like last year, you get to call upon the rites of your baptism. Just like Moses would remind God, you know, in these intercessory prayers of, do not strike down your people. You led them out of Egypt so that they could freely worship you. What would they say about you if you led them out and then just to strike them down? Well then, as a baptized soul, you got, I have a right have my sins confessed. I'm sorry for offending you. Please, in your mercy, grant me a priest who will absolve my sins. Sorry, that's a prayer that would be answered. God is not going to turn you away. And then it will be a very hefty judgment to the priests who are not instruments of his mercy. But we'll get to that again, because that's also part of character. They're conforming to Christ's holy ministry. Or, as you might have already received in counsel, in spiritual direction, or confession, say there's things you bring uh, for counsel or for absolution that have to do with cowardice, or not standing up for your faith, or, or caving, or something that really comes to fortitude, or comes to your grace of confirmation. Well, when you're in a tough spot, you can call upon the graces of your confirmation. You were confirmed to be a soldier of Christ. And so, ask for those graces. So those are just some of the essential elements as we start to discover what sacramental character is. It's a permanent, supernatural mark. It makes you forever a new being. It gives you a right to possess grace you don't place obstacles in the way. But there's more. And this is what is completely lost in today's teaching. It's been about 60 plus years that this hasn't been taught. Please write down this sentence. Sacramental character gives the ability to offer worship pleasing to God. Sacramental character gives the ability to offer worship pleasing to God. We're going to unpack it, don't worry. So the rest of this class is Hopefully, one of the fruits of this class will be that it opens your eyes to seeing how, yes, everything is liturgical. You're baptized to offer a worship pleasing to God. It's that power is given in baptism, developed in confirmation, Perfected in holy orders. So the ability to offer worship pleasing to God is that sentence you just wrote down. That ability, that capacity, that power 
this is how you see the three sacraments that give character of a tie. That power is given in baptism, developed in confirmation, and perfected in other orders. So if baptism already gives a power, a supernatural power, a divine capacity to offer worship pleasing to God, what are those consequences? And some of them you've taken for granted. Why was the Mass up until a couple generations ago and the division still exists, we just call it something different. Why was the first part the mass of the catechumens? The second part the mass of the faithful? Because when it came time for the offertory, well, the non-baptized can't make that offering. In union with Christ, they don't have that sacramental character yet. They are not part of his mystical body. They can't supernaturally say in him, with him, and through him. Let's turn it now into a positive statement. Those who are baptized, that is why when you assist at Mass, you truly intercede for all humanity. go back to some of our central catechism that we probably already know, but let's connect the dots. What have we always been taught about baptism? We've always been taught that baptism makes us a member of the church. That by baptism we become a member of Christ's mystical body. So by baptism we already start to be configured to Christ. Now Christ is priest, prophet, and king. So already your sacramental character in baptism begins your configuration to Christ, priest, prophet, and king. So what are some of these consequences of baptism? To be able to offer a worship pleasing to God. It means you do actively participate in the sacrifice of Christ at Mass because you are a member of His body that is offered up for the glory of the Father and the remission of sins. You are a member of that body by baptism. this should also help us see how the Mass isn't some human social thing that anyone could just hop right in and be slap happy and be actively participating. To be supernaturally participating. To be divinely active. You need to be configured to Christ. You need to be baptized. And then you are part of that mystical body that is being offered on behalf of humanity. So the prayer of a baptized person has the power of mediation. Think of the other things we've learned from Scripture and Catechism. That is why Christ says those who have received the Spirit can say, Abba, Father. Because you're configured to the Son. It's because you're part of the mystical body of the Son. That in Him, with Him, and through Him, you can call the Father, Father. This is very important. It's also why, if you're baptized, and baptism gives a character, that it enables you to offer worship pleasing to God. That's why, because you're baptized, you can be the minister of matrimony to each other. If you're not baptized, how could you possibly 
be the minister of another sacrament, like matrimony. Now remember, baptism, because it's so essential, anyone can baptize in the danger of death. But because in matrimony, you are the ones mutually in giving, mutually giving and receiving each other, that you are the ones making the vow, for that vow to be supernatural, for that vow to be sacramental, you need to be baptized. Baptism is what plunges you into the sacramental life of the church. Baptism is what gives a supernatural character to all that you do. It's because you're baptized and receive the supernatural character of baptism that your smallest good deed can merit heaven, can have an eternal recompense. Because it's done in union with Christ, because it's done with a divine charity, it's done with the love of God. There's a big difference between secular kindness and baptized charity. One merits heaven because you're baptized. And it's this sacramental character that unites us as one in Christ. If it's sacramental character that configures us to Christ. That is how we can say we're one and united in Christ. With Christ as our head, and we're members of his mystical body. We're going to... I gave a hint of what we're going to be unpacking, about how we figured us to Christ, priest, teacher, and king. We're almost there. Or priest, prophet, and king. Prophet means teacher. So this baptismal character is developed in confirmation. And the church's tradition teaches that the confirmation character gives the power and the right to perform actions which are necessary in the spiritual battle against the enemies of the faith. His enemies are our fallen nature, the world, and the devil. Confirmation gives you a supernatural power to wage that war. That is why the sooner and sooner our children are being corrupted by secular society, the more egregiously scandalous it is that we put off their confirmations to later ages. They need that sacramental character, that supernatural power and right to perform actions which are necessary in the spiritual battle against the enemies of faith, our fallen nature, the world, and the devil. Again, there's another analogy you could take that you're familiar with, but it just helps us piece this all together. So if baptism makes us members of the kingdom of Christ, confirmation makes us soldiers in the kingdom of Christ. Alright, we're getting ready to the point now where you get the handouts up. I can have some help. Just take one and pass it. Just take one and pass. There's seven of these, so it should be good. I think I gave them wrong.
Once you get this, you are going to flip to page two. I mean, I'll still just write the essential. What are our three sacraments that give character, baptism, confirmation? configure us to Christ each time. In Christ, he is priest, prophet, and king. <coughs> By prophet, we really mean it in the true sense of the term, teacher. We really only use the term prophet now in English about someone that teaches of things to come. But prophet's a much larger term than just future things. It's teaching. Right? Remember, the prophets in the Old Testament are the ones that are also teaching morals. They're teaching aspects of the faith. It's not just of things to come. So, each of these sacraments because they confer a character, each one to his degree, beginning, developed, and perfected, they're going to make us more and more like Christ, priest, prophet, and king. So see what a crime it is to want to confuse the ministerial priesthood of holy orders with already the configuration that Christ the priest you get in baptism. When you lose the distinction between two things, when it gets clouded, you have distinctions, well you lose appreciation for both of those things then. And that's what we live in today. We live today in a general ambiance within the faithful of the church and the clergy that there is both a loss of appreciation of what holy orders truly transforms in a poor sinner of a man and the grandeur of his ministry. And we also lose the grandeur of what it already means to be baptized because we've clouded the two. So remember, dis distinguishing will always give you better appreciation of both aspects. Ambiguity will always make you lose appreciation of both aspects. It's another principle you can apply to anything else in your life. No one thrives or flourishes in ambiguity. No one can thrive or flourish in ambiguity. Apply that to work, apply it to family life, apply it to spiritual action, apply it to friends. No one can thrive with students. No one can thrive and flourish in ambiguity. So bringing clarity to the situation, whether it's morals or doctrine, bringing clarity will allow you to thrive and flourish. And you're going to see how there's a progression each time. So let's start with Christ the priest. Right? So sacramental character conforms us to Christ. And each time we receive a sacramental character, we become more like Christ, priest, prophet, and king. So how does baptism already configure us to Christ, priest, prophet, and king? By baptism, we can already offer a worship that is pleasing to God. A supernatural worship. When we're baptized, 
Our prayer is no longer a natural prayer. When we're baptized, our prayer is no longer the prayer of a creature to the Creator. When we're baptized, our prayer is that of a child to the Father. Deeper still, when we're baptized, our prayer is that of the Son, capital S, to the Father. Because baptism allows us to pray in Him, with Him, and through Him. So these formulas that we hear so often in prayers, we can't let their repetition render their grandeur banal to our ear or heart. There's a reason why every collect of the Mass ends with the version of Per Dominum Nostrum Jesum Christum, through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is exactly what we're doing. We are offering the sacrifice of the Son to the Father. And all our prayers are through the Son to the Father. It's your baptism that makes that possible. Alright, baptism also already starts to configure us to Christ's prophet, teacher. So remember, baptism, its main character, the main power, is receptivity. It makes you capable of receiving what you couldn't before. So baptism makes you capable of receiving other sacraments. Baptism makes you capable of receiving supernatural truths. Baptism makes you capable of receiving supernatural morals. So see, you're configured to Christ, the teacher in baptism, not first so you can already go teach it. You can't teach what you haven't first received. So baptism gives you the power to receive it. It's, and this is something that maybe boggles our mind only at first. It's already a capacity. It's already a power to be able to receive something. Right? Think about it first naturally. A two-year-old can't receive a university instruction. They don't have that capacity yet. A two-week-old, tragic as it may be, can't receive a stake yet. They don't have that capacity. Right? A non-baptized person can't receive the Eucharist yet. They don't have that capacity. non-baptized person can't be confirmed yet. They don't have that capacity. So it's a power to receive. So if you were to summarize sacramental character of baptism in the easiest way possible, it's the power to receive. The power to receive the supernatural. The power to receive the teachings of Christ with open ears and open minds. And you see those ceremonies in the traditional baptism. The priest who mectifies his fingers and sticks them in the ear, or not in the ear, but touches the ear of the one to be baptized, to open them to the teachings of Christ, gives a pinch of salt on the tongue so that they will find uh, taste and appetizing in supernatural things have a taste for prayer, appreciate the divine. This is also why priests should take extra care, not less care, extra care in catechizing children. Because they have the purest capacities of these sacramental graces and characters 
that are not yet tarnished or diminished or have the obstacles of our personal sins. They are supernaturally more capable of receiving the supernatural truths. They grasp them. And I think it was Archbishop Cordeleone, pretty sure, who recently said, he said, because there's all this talk, of course, about Eucharist to public sinners. He said, I'm pretty sure it's Archbishop Cordeleone, I'm sorry if it's another active bishop, I apologize. But it's an American one who's currently bishop, pretty sure Cordeleone, who said, stop asking bishops if so-and-so should receive communion. Ask the first communicants. They know. Ask the seven-year-olds. Because they were taught, you don't go if you're this, this, or this. That's a powerful quote. Not only for the little wake-up call, but because it's profoundly rooted in the theology of sacramental character. They get it. They have the baptismal grace to receive purely and entirely the supernatural truths of our faith. The supernatural morals of our faith. Now, thank goodness that while we might betray the graces of our baptism, we can still also be faithful to them and develop them, and that's when we get confirmation. But let's wait. And baptism, how does it configure us to Christ the King? Well, it's by baptism that we belong to Christ the King. And we become members of the mystical body of Christ the King. And as St. Peter says in one of his epistles, we are then born into the royal race. And that is also why in the ceremony of baptism, the first thing the child receives after they're baptized is the chrism on the crown of their head. The chrism that used to be reserved for the kings of old is now given to every newly baptized because you are configured to Christ the King. You belong to the kingdom of Christ. So again, let's really think about what these things mean. They change our very being. So again, when you look at this grid on the second page, tie it back into some of the elements about sacramental character. It changes your very being. As a baptized person, for all eternity, you are capable of giving a worship pleasing to God. Which is why not doing so becomes a heinous crime if you're unfaithful to your baptism. You are the one who were true, you were truly changed to be able to be pleasing to the Father. And you reject that and do the opposite. Or because you're baptized, you're rendered supernaturally capable of receiving the truths of the faith. That's why being an apostate is worse than being a pagan. Rejecting the truths that God himself made you capable of receiving in baptism. It's worse. And that is why, again, connect another dot. Why are you catechized that you can't baptize a child unless someone is going to assure their Catholic education. Because we don't baptize to make apostates. That would make their state worse. Of course, if there's a case of death, it's a completely different story because you don't have to worry about the raising of the child or dying if you want to get to heaven. That's why you can't, maids just can't go around or housewives, or house, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, no. What, what am I trying to Midwives, thank you. That's why midwives can't just go around baptizing babies they deliver. They're, you know, not Catholic. So you can't make apostates. Alright, confirmation. So, we start with the capacity in baptism 
of being able to offer a worship pleasing to God, the figure of Christ the priest, well, in confirmation that gets developed. Remember, one of the principal graces of confirmation is fortitude. So you're given an abundance of grace to bear suffering and to have the courage to make sacrifice. To now join your personal sacrifices and your personal sufferings to the sacrifice of the cross. To the sacrifice of Christ. And again, here you see the development. Your prayer in and through Christ and a child but now as you grow and have more sufferings and exercise your will even more and have to mortify yourself well now those crosses are not just worldly trials or earthly difficulties they are redeeming crosses they have a redemptive value they can obtain graces for yourself and your loved ones they are joined to the cross of Christ. It becomes the fulfillment of that mysterious passage in St. Paul where he says he adds his own sufferings to what is incomplete in the sacrifice of Christ. It's not the sacrifice of, not, of Christ is not incomplete in an absolute sense, but it's incomplete in the sense of we can still join ours to his. That passage finds fulfillment in the sacramental character of confirmation. I would become more like Christ the priest in confirmation. You also see it if you were to go back to marriage. So you can only exchange the sacrament of marriage to each other if you're baptized. And you can only do it licitly, meaning the way it's meant to be, if you're confirmed. Confirmation makes you an adult in the eyes of the church. So just like civil society wouldn't let children get married, the society of the church wants you to be adults in the eyes of the church to exchange your vows. That's why you need to be confirmed for your sacrament of marriage to be licit, meaning done the way the church wants you to do it. Because it develops that baptismal character. It makes you more like Christ the priest. Alright, so again, what was received in baptism, now developed in confirmation. If you receive in baptism that capacity, that your ears and mind open to the teachings of Christ, well now in confirmation you're given the strength to adhere to it, to profess it, to communicate it, to defend it. See how much more you are configured to Christ the teacher in confirmation. In baptism you receive, in confirmation you defend, you explain, you communicate, and you adhere. First and foremost, adhere. Sorry, I did that in reverse order. You adhere. You have to live it. That is why we have the tradition of making sure there's sacramental catechism for confirmation. Because the person being confirmed has to be able to give reason for the faith it believes in. Or again, as the New Testament says, to give reason for the hope that resides in you. And to have enough knowledge of it to at least know the sources. We're going to have the reflex to say, I personally don't have that answer on hand right now, but I know where to get it. I'll get back to you. Instead of just making something up. Don't do that. And then, see another happy consequence of how you're more configured to Christ the King. Not only do you belong to that royal race, not only are you a member of his kingdom, but now you're meant to draw others on that path of suffering, to be a leader. If a king is the leader of leaders, 
Well, the more you're configured to Christ the King, the more of a leader you're meant to be. To lead by action. Lead by your prayer. Lead by being a person of principle. Lead by being grounded in your faith. Principle in your morals. Those have qualities of leadership that are the intangibles. And you can't lead if you don't know how to obey. So being confirmed, your greater adhesion to the church makes you a better, your obedience makes you a better leader. So we see this development. And then we finally get to holy orders where we see the absolute perfection of something that all the faithful are called to both receive and have developed. No one is getting gypped here. You are all meant to be configured to Christ, priest, prophet, and king, and to have it developed. Before I get to holy orders, here's an interesting fact. So if confirmation gives a capacity, a power, configures us more to Christ, that is why if a child is dying, a baptized babe is dying, you don't give them last rites. Last rites remits personal sin. They're two or three years old. They have nothing to receive in last rites. But you can confirm them. You give them another eternal glory. You transfigure their soul for all of eternity. That dying two-year-old will not spend heaven as a baptized soul. They'll spend heaven as a baptized and confirmed soul. Another title of glory, a greater configuration to Christ. That we can give. And we haven't even touched on the, we haven't even developed the power of liturgy in this, which is, will be in the handout, so you can read it. Alright, so, baptism, Christ the priest, can offer worship pleasing to God. Confirmation, even make personal sacrifice, joining the cross of Christ. Now in holy orders, you're so perfectly configured to Christ that your sacrifice is the sacrifice of Christ. He who's received holy orders is priest and victim in the same sense that Christ is. That's why the priest says at Mass, this is my body. He doesn't say it's Christ. He doesn't say it's the Son's. He says, this is mine, because he is Christ. He is the priesthood of Christ. He is perfectly configured to Christ, priest and victim. And then, configured to Christ, the prophet, the teacher. He's gone from being able to receive the teachings of Christ, to defending the teachings of Christ, to having a ministry, to being sent to preach the teachings of Christ. Again, to be a priest is to fulfill that passage of St. Luke where our Lord tells his disciples, not the crowd, the disciples, he who receives you receives me. Another thing to keep in mind when you want the right interpretation of Christ's teachings, ask yourself, is he saying it to his apostles? Is he saying it to his disciples? Is he saying it to the crowd? Because in those three categories of the New Testament, of the ministry of Christ, you have faithful priests and bishops. You have the whole body of the church right there, already in Christ's ministry. 
And so think of how many errors of scriptural interpretation come from saying what Christ says to his apostles as bishops. <laughs> We're saying to his disciples that are priests sent two by two or to the crowd. It's not the last supper that Christ says, do this in memory of me. It's the ministerial priesthood he's establishing. It's also why, if you really want the theological reason, it's also why you don't have to go and sell all things and follow him. It's in scripture. Our Lord himself said it. We can neither deceive nor be deceived. But he said it to the young man who was called to be an apostle. The scriptural scene takes place when Christ is gathering his apostles. And he went away sad. That is why you don't have a moral obligation to go and sell all things and follow Christ, even though Christ said that. He didn't say that to the crowd. He didn't say that in Matthew chapter 5. He didn't say that in the Beatitudes. He said it in an individual call to someone who's meant to be an apostle. When you receive holy orders and you're configured to Christ the King, so you've gone from belonging to the kingdom of God to being a leader in the kingdom of God to having actual governance in the church. You can only have governance in the mystical body of Christ if you are perfectly configured to Christ in holy orders. There's no spiritual capacity to govern in the church if you haven't received holy orders. So again, apply these principles. Just like you don't have the capacity receive communion if you're not baptized, because baptism gives you the capacity, the power, the ability to receive the other sacraments. You don't have the capacity, the ability, the power to govern in the church if you're not perfectly configured to Christ through holy words. It's a supernatural impossibility. That's just theology 101. But you don't get that if you don't understand what sacramental character really is. You never get to this crystal clear conclusion if you don't understand that these sacraments make us more like Christ, priest, prophet, and king. And that they give a supernatural capacity, a supernatural power. Remember, supernatural above our name, something we can't do unless we're given it from on high. So if you want to build a human organization with human capacities, you will reap the bad fruits of every human organization. It will rise and it will fall. It will have its day and it will be over. If you want to be the beneficiary of the divine promises of Christ, that the gates of hell shall not prevail, then you better have that supernatural capacity given to you in baptism, in confirmation, in holy orders. It would be a topic for another day, but I'll already throw it out there. That's why jurisdiction, or whether something's illicit or not, is not just some legal parameter in the church. 
to have jurisdiction means that you are a branch attached to the vine. If you don't have jurisdiction, that means you are a detached branch, which means that sap of life does not flow to you anymore. Christ is the vine. We are the branches. We have jurisdiction because we're a branch attached to the vine. So it's not some dry, juridical, legal thing. It's the very life of the church, the very life of Christ, the very life of grace, the very life of the sacraments we're talking about. So don't let anyone just brush aside, oh, but it was still valid, just to listen. Just to listen. Well, I mean something sacrilegious just took place if it was just to listen. You're reading. If this series is called Getting Acquainted with Aquinas, it's to get us into the actual writings of St. Thomas Aquinas without being intimidated, having the tools of understanding, to get the dose of humility to remember that the Summa was written for beginners. (laughs) So I also tried to facilitate it by underlining the reasoning and highlighting the things that if you were to remember, remember what's in bold. So the reading on your own, you will discover how a sacramental character is truly a spiritual power, this capacity we're talking about, and that it is a character of Christ. So, it's a power, and if you were to just read the bold on page three, and I answer that, the conclusion, I'll let you read the reasoning, but the conclusion is, so a character signifies a certain spiritual power ordained unto things pertaining pertaining to divine worship. Liturgy is not just a thing. It's who we are as Catholics. It's why you're baptized. We offer liturgy. To be part of the liturgy. And this is also, our teenagers got this. Parents know when to communicate again. It's your easiest answer to people that say they don't want to go to Sunday Mass. That means they don't want to go to heaven. Because I'm sorry, heaven is an eternal Mass. Heaven is an eternal liturgy. So if you don't want to go to liturgy here below, why in the world would you want to go to heaven? Consequently, that's why if you don't go to Mass here below, you don't go to the eternal Mass. If you chose not to have a liturgical life, you chose to have an eternity that won't be liturgical. So please don't let anyone just say, oh, liturgy, that's a thing. Or that's one order in the church that's all up on liturgy. No, that's your baptismal character. You are liturgical beings ever since your baptism. Angels are liturgical beings. They praise God for all eternity. Our liturgy on earth is just to represent the angelic liturgy in heaven. So, what's the conclusion? That means anything that is in the image and likeness of God, anything that has a spiritual faculty, you're made to be a liturgical being. And if you're faithful to grace in that one trial as an angel, then you are liturgical for all eternity in heaven. And then in our case, if we're baptized, we are liturgical beings, and we will be judged on whether or not we live the church all that comes from character. So please, I encourage you to dive into these readings while it's fresh. Read page three and four while it's fresh. All right. Were we missing handouts? Did everyone? Sorry, I went long.
but it's the end of the year, so a big bang. I gave you a length of July and August. I apologize. I'll say grace.